Hello and welcome to the latest edition of FT Advisor podcast. I'm Maria Espadinha, senior reporter at FT Advisor. Today I'm joined by Tim Gosling, head of pensions policy at the People's Pension, and Darren Cook, financial advisor at Red Circle Financial Planning. Hi, Tim. Hi, Darren. Hi. We're here to discuss the pensions dashboard. When can we expect to see the platform coming to life? If I'm going to be able to find my lost pension and if financial advisors can expect anything from the project besides another bill to pay at the end of the year. Uh, Tim, I would start with you and to ask, when can we realistically expect to have some kind of platform in place that people can access? It's going to be some time yet. And there's a lot of moving bits here and it might make sense to sort of step through them one at a time. The first point is that government's decided that it's going to be compulsory for schemes to push data to, to the dashboard. And they're going to need primary legislation for that, presumably followed by secondary legislation. So they need a pensions bill. It's widely rumoured that there's one on the on the blocks ready to go. But as you probably anticipate, things are kind of busy in Westminster at the moment with other matters. So it's not clear when that bill's going to get introduced. So once that happens, that will give schemes the legal certainty they need in order to begin preparing for the dashboard, preparing to push data to the dashboard. They've begun putting together a structure that will run the project. So we've just seen the appointment of Angela Poba, the, the, the implementation director for the project. We've seen the appointment of the principal, Chris Curry. But they've still got to set up the rest of the project governance. And the project governance structure will have a lot of work to do to procure pension finder service, look at and set the identity verification requirements for the dashboard, and set a data standard, which is the other thing that schemes really need to understand if they're to know how to configure their system so that they can begin pushing data to the dashboard. So government has said we're looking at three to four years for things to be online. That feels uh, realistic, but it's going to depend on how quickly various parts of the governance structure for the the project can get the job done and can give certainty to schemes. The Actually, the difficult part of this really isn't building the, the infrastructure to push data to the dashboard. It's building the infrastructure for the dashboard itself, if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. So what you're saying is that if schemes want to start now and get the data ready now, can they or they need to wait? I think there are things that schemes can do in order to get their data in good order. They can look at the completeness of their data, which is uh, an issue for all automatic enrolment schemes because we're dependent on the employer to supply accurate data. And as you'll know, that doesn't always happen. You may not get somebody with a complete national insurance number, for instance. So there are things that schemes can do now. But in terms of knowing what standard they're building to in order to push data to the dashboard, we need the governance structure for the dashboard project to set a data standard before we can really begin work there. It's possible that we'll see some schemes being able to push data to dashboard ahead of a compulsory deadline. So some schemes might be in a position to volunteer and the the, the WP's policy paper anticipated that, but it does very much depend on the decisions the governance structure takes and when it takes them and when it publicises them for schemes really to be able to prepare. Mm -hmm. Darren, question for you. Who do you think that should pay for the pension dashboard? For now, providers are being called to pay for it, but there's also the money and pension service is also taking money from the FCA levy to pay for their part of the project. What is your views on this? Um, It depends which version of the pension dashboard you mean. Uh, Potentially at the moment, we're heading for multiple versions Mm -hmm. with providers funding one version and potentially the government looking to fund another version. So we could end up with multiple versions of a pensions dashboard. Providers would clearly look to fund the one that they're going to participate in, but if the government's going to mandate one that providers and schemes and 
the state pension has to feed into. But I think that can only be funded centrally out of government purse. But in a time where uh, these projects don't come cheap, we're not talking billions, but you're certainly talking millions of pounds to fund a project like this. And in a time of restricted finances potentially going into Brexit, actually getting the government to fund it might be, uh, might be slightly more tricky. They might then start saying to the industry, well, you've got to fund it. I'm not sure the industry will be so keen with that. Mm-hmm. When you say industry, are we talking about pension providers? Uh, yeah, the pensions providers, but uh, you know they'll quite rightly turn around and say, well, why are we paying for the bits that are schemes? Why are we paying for the bit for the link for the state pension? Why are we paying for this? We're happy to provide our data and we're happy to pay for the bit that links to us. Mm-hmm. But why are we going to pay for everybody else? Um, what is your position on the dashboard? Do you really think the consumers will gain with it? Or do you think that it's not something that is going to be needed? I have a very negative view of the pensions dashboard. I honestly think that if you build it, it will be ignored. Don't even open their annual pension statements. I have people come to see me now that they might have got three annual pension statements stretching back over the last 10 years because the others have been lost or ignored or sometimes the envelope isn't even opened. I don't see why giving them an online access is going to make it any more likely that people will log on and see their, look at their pensions. I was just going to say the problem is a massive lack of engagement with pensions and retirement planning. It'd be far better spending the money on financial education, and financial guidance to actually get people to engage with pensions, to get people to engage with their finances and savings, and basic financial education than launching a pensions dashboard that will be a complete and utter disaster. I imagine team has a different position. I don't think it's an either or between between guidance and the dashboard. I mean, we've we've said to Maps this week that we hope that they concentrate very much on at retirement guidance because we we think that's where the that's where the hole is. But I'm I'm not sure that sort of assumptions about how people haven't engaged in the past are going to continue into the future. I mean, we're now taking eight percent of band earnings from a lot of people now and I'd anticipate that we're going to see an uptick in engagement as people begin to wonder where's this 8% of my salary going and at that point we might see a bit more of curiosity about where the money's gone and what's what's being done with it. The second thing is that you sort of come back to that sort of you know, statistic, it, it, we're going to have 11 pensions across the life course. That's probably not true. It may be many more or many many fewer than that. But there's a question, how do you find all of those? Uh, if you're changing jobs every six months, you've been through Nest, you've been through the People's Pension, you've been through Now Pensions, and so on and, and so on and so forth. How are you going to find all those pots? I suspect if people aren't opening the envelopes, then they're certainly not keeping the statements. So there is, I think, a need for an online portal where people with multiple DC pots can answer the simple question, you know, what have I got and where is it? Mm-hmm. Can, I, can I come back on that? Two things. I think 11 is extreme. In 28 years as a financial advisor, the most I've ever seen anybody have is five. That's the absolute most. Uh, generally, it's only two or three. And you also mentioned that people are paying 8% into a pension scheme. A large number of people have been paying 8% into pension schemes for decades. Workplace pensions, admittedly, but they've been paying it through group personal pension plans, through stakeholder pensions, into final salary schemes, and they still don't open the envelopes. And we're seeing a little bit more curiosity uh, about where the money's going. It's too early yet for us to give indication about the you know, opt-out statistics following the increase in contributions in April. But it's no secret that the industry is seeing a bit more interest from people who've been automatically enrolled in exactly where's my money going. I don't really think that's too much of a secret. The second thing is I'm pretty sure I've got six pots scattered around somewhere which I do really need to pull together. And one of the things about automatic enrolment is we're pulling people into work-based pension saving who move jobs really, 
really quickly. We've seen thousands of people churn out of the people's pension into other pension schemes within sort of three, six months of joining. I suspect we are not going to be alone in that. People at the at the lower end of the labour market who haven't traditionally been engaged in pension saving move jobs seemingly much faster than those who that the people at the industry has traditionally catered for. So talking on a personal capacity, I think this happens with everyone. I um, spent two months locating one of my old pension pots. Do you think I would not have spent as much time if the dashboard existed? It depends how complete the dashboard ends up being. I mean, we've got real challenge. There are currently over 30,000 occupational schemes, the majority of which are, are very small. And we have a real challenge in terms of getting DB online as well. And if we get DB on there, what actually do we put on there? Do we just tell you you've got a DB pension or do we put a cash equivalent transfer value? So there's all sorts of questions about the completeness of the dashboard. But given the way the market is consolidating, it wouldn't surprise me if the top 20 providers, uh, or the top 20, top 20 third, third party administrators, if they are able to push data to the dashboard, are able to cover a very large percentage of the market quite quickly. Fingers crossed is what I would say. We're a long way away from that, and it's an IT project, and all things, kinds of things may go wrong with IT projects, but we're cautiously optimistic. Darren, do you ever have clients who don't know where the pension pots are and do you think that a dashboard would help you? Yeah, occasionally we get clients who have lost track of pensions. I can think of probably four or five in the last five, six years. So although people don't look at the statements, they do tend to know that they've got a pension and it might, like I said, a statement that might be two or three years old, uh, but at least they kind of know that they've got that pension. This has already been said, it depends really on how complete the data on the dashboard is. I think most private pension providers... So People's Pension, the Royal London Scottish Widows of this world, legal and generals, etc. I think they will be able to provide their data relatively quickly and they will want to provide their data. SAS schemes and SIP, SIP companies, I think you're going to have a much bigger problem getting them to do it unless it is mandated through law, which, as we've already said, could be some way off. Getting DB schemes to provide it, I think that could be next to impossible unless you unless you absolutely force them to do it. Most of them have got really rubbish data. I even heard of one recently where some of their ex-member data was still sort of microfiche and even been computerized, let alone in any sort of format that can be linked into a dashboard. So getting those guys to put that data on there and then we said, what sort of format is it going to be? Is it going to be a case of this is your cash equivalent transfer value? Well, that could be really dangerous as we've already seen the, the issues around uh, pension transfers if people start seeing that as a cash pot. And in any case, a cash equivalent transfer value can change On a daily basis, when you calculate one, it only lasts for three months. The scheme's going to have to recalculate cash equivalent transfer values or automate a process for calculating trusted ETVs. Are they going to have to put on what pension entitlement you might have? But that pension entitlement will only be relevant at a particular age. If you're taking your pension early, then if you want to say, well, what happens if I retire at 62, not 65? Well, clearly, you've got potentially three years less of service if you're an active member. Or you might have early retirement penalties for taking it for three years early. How can the dashboard cope with those sort of calculations without having to go back to the provider? The provider has to calculate it. The provider has to feed it back to the dashboard. That's not going to be an instant process. That can take days. That can take weeks currently with a DB scheme to get them to calculate those sort of things. I honestly don't see how DB schemes are accurately going to reflect the information in the dashboard in any meaningful way. Tim, is there any way there can be caveats about including this DB information in the dashboard? Well, I think there's a range of options. I mean, one would simply say, 
you have a DB pension, it is with organisation X, go and ask organisation X. I mean, that is the that is the simplest. The second up is CETV, which I don't think we'd favour for reasons already mentioned. Um, there's a, a bit of an issue there because you know, technically it is a, an individual's data and they should have the right to their data. But there is a question, do you, do you, does the sector lead with its chin given what's on, given what's gone on with, uh, with, with DB transfers over the last couple of, uh, couple of years? So there are ways of doing it, but the easiest way is very, very sort of bargain basement. Mm-hmm. And uh, Darren, there's been some kind of arguments that advisors might be able to reduce their work if a dashboard exists because your fact-finding can be reduced. Do you agree with any of these arguments? Uh, to an extent, I don't think it'll actually reduce things very much because even though I'll know that a client's got a pension over here with Aviva and a pension over there with People's Pension and a pension over there with Legal and General, I'm still going to have to write to Aviva and I'm still going to have to write to Legal and General to get the terms of those pensions find out what the charges are, because all the pensions dashboard are really going to tell me is how much is in that pot. Yeah, I think this is one of those things where we do need to be thinking about the data that ends up on the dashboard. We uh, Initially, it is going to be quite basic. Uh, what, have, what have I got? Where is it? Uh, but I do think we still really do start needing to be, needing to be put, putting charges on there. That wasn't in the pensions uh, dashboard pilot, but I do think it is essential for any any second phase of this that we start having more more sophisticated information that includes charges and potentially transaction costs as well. Yeah, but unfortunately, that's only half the story when I write to a provider. I appreciate, but as as you can probably realise, a lot of a lot of providers are going to be seeing this as a transactional site in the end, rather than just providing information. It's really important that if people are take, using this to take decisions in the absence of a financial professional, then there's enough information on there to enable an informed choice, rather than rather than somebody looking essentially blind and deciding to consolidate their pensions for reasons of brand affiliation or whatever. We need information like charges up there in order for people to make uh, decent choices. Darren, what about uh, pension scams? Is the dashboard uh, prone to be um, another um, scandal, if you can call it like that? Will people look at um, big numbers and think about, ooh, I can take this money out of here? Or it can be open to other people trying to infiltrate the platform. What what do you think on this? Uh, well, first of all, was the hacking op- option of being hacked, mm-hmm. having that data uh, hacked which obviously has to, be, um, has to be looked at. But in terms of if a client can access that data or an advisor is allowed to access that data as a third party, then it's just as possible that a scammer could, could access that data or persuade a client to access that data and say, oh, look, you've got this £200,000 in your pension. We can do so much better for you, Mr. Client. Before you know it, it's in Brazilian teak forests and gone. Or clients under 55 and sees a big pension pot and thinks, oh, I can access that money. And we know pension liberation is illegal, but I flagged a website only this morning to the uh, FCA on their whistleblowing line that's offering pension liberation, or appears to be offering pension liberation. It's still going on, just because it's illegal, it doesn't stop them. It's potentially a serious problem. The main thing to get right in the first wave is, is ID ver- verification. That's one of the main untaken decisions about how this is going to work. Clearly, the login process has got to be extremely secure. Otherwise, potential for fraud is very significant. Even then, even then, uh, you know, you are still open to problems regarding sort of social engineering. People being having their their details prized out of them by trickery or the, or, or other or other ways. So yes, we are alive to the issues. The sector is going to have to look in more depth at investment fraud and pension fraud more generally. We would certainly support uh, further restrictions on 
the kind of transfers that people are able to make from between pension schemes to out, out into SASs and other, and other potentially high-risk vehicles. So there are things that we can do, and a number of those things do need to be done before Dashboard comes live. Darren, if you can say what would be the, your ideal dashboard for the project to be a success, what, what conditions would you establish? Unfortunately, I think the ideal is unattainable, which is one of the reasons I think it'll be an utter waste of money. The ideal is that every single pension every person has has all the information, all the data live, and you can log on to that system and see exactly what your retirement position will be. You can adjust the ages. You can say, well, if I'm going to retire at this age and it's got projected rates in there and it can tell me that at 65 you are expecting a pension of this and your state pension will start at 67, 68 and it will be this. And if you can do a slider at the bottom or put a different digit in a box that tells you what it's going to be if you go at 60 and you can do all of that live on the system and it's instantaneous. Unfortunately, I think that's pie in the sky and will never happen because the data providers just cannot and will not be able to do that. Even if they're actually required by law to do it, you'll get them turning around and saying, I don't care what law you put on me, we cannot deliver that information. Unfortunately, as soon as you're missing a piece of information and it becomes an incomplete jigsaw puzzle, it kind of becomes pointless. I mean, I think, I think in some ways I think that's right. I think the idea of a, the, the dashboard as a, a sort of complete financial planning tool in which everything can be seen live at all times, 24 hours of the day, is, is a very long way off. I do think it's possible, though, for us to get to a place reasonably quickly where we can answer the question, what have I got and where is it? And that's what people should be focusing on in the first instance. And then potentially we can build from there. I mean, obviously, yeah, completeness is an issue. There's eight trillion in, in UK pensions, both funded and unfunded, of which four, you know, four trillions, the state pension, two trillions funded, occupational DB and D and DC. We should be able to get the bulk of that up there within a reasonable time frame. But it's going to be an enormous challenge and the industry needs to begin preparing for it now. Thank you, Tim. Thank you, Darren, for joining us today. Thanks for listening and tune in again next week. Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new edition of the Capital Ideas podcast. In unscripted conversations with investment professionals, you'll hear real stories about successes and lessons learned, informed by decades of investment experience. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. New episodes are available monthly. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes in an episode today. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.